We are Sarah and Laura. We are doulas, mothers, women, wives, and entrepreneurs. We love a lot of things. The gym, food, coffee, health, kombucha, our families, and our friends. We are so committed to being authentic, honest, and vulnerable and showing up here just the way we are. We promise to never positive wash anything, but please know that we are wholeheartedly committed to radically thriving. With this podcast, we hope to connect on a deeper level and talk about hard stuff. Ultimately, we want women and mothers to know deeply who they are and what makes them feel happy. Whether you're getting into a bath or taking us on a walk with you. Or maybe you're commuting to work. We are honored that you chose our podcast to listen to. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Lara. What are we talking about today? (laughs) We are talking all about sleep. Okay, so I want to know, how do you sleep? What are your sleep habits like? What's your sleep hygiene consist of? Oh, my sleep is like take all the magnesium and then hit the pillow and try and fall asleep before my husband, which has been really easy lately. Oh, so you need to fall asleep before him. Oh, no, I actually don't care. I just, um, I hate laying awake in bed. Yes. And recently he's been having more of a stir crazy head. So I just seem to get in bed and go to sleep. It's great. Do you guys touch each other while you sleep? Like, not sexually, but like in general. Hard no. Are you a cuddler? No. No. I mean, occasionally. But you I'll like fall... his body heat beside you. Oh, but... I do. I do. Especially in the winter. So um, you like his aura. Mm, I do. <laughs> and I I would say there are definitely times where I fall asleep cuddling him, and then he has to try and like extricate himself mm. from me. Because then if sometimes you get into the twitching, mm-hmm. and then that we wake each other up. Yeah. What about you? Um, I sleep best when I take magnesium, mm-hmm. when I read before bed and I'll read until I hit my sleep window and I feel a little bit sleepy and then I put the book down and then I am asleep within 90 seconds. Amazing. It's the best. And don't touch me while I'm sleeping. Yeah. Well, not while I'm already asleep. No, no way. Not a sleep touch bed fan. <laughs> None of that. Oh man, last night I hit my sleep window at like 9.30 and I was like, oh, it's too early. And so then you just kind of keep riding it out. And anyway, I finally went to bed at 11, which was based on how tired I am right now. was not a smart choice. You should have listened to your body the first time. Well, especially because I've been kind of having a cold and I was reading that like, I mean, the optimal amount of sleep for adults is seven to nine hours. Mm -hmm. However, if you do um, high... A strenuous activity you should add an hour really yeah I had no idea does being in the stress of a pandemic count as a high strenuous activity I'm gonna go with yes yeah so we should all be getting an extra hour right now well and I also referenced this book in my prenatal class called something about sleep I forget what it's called sleep tight <laughs> no yeah sleep tight yeah okay so it says that in the winter time we should actually be getting upwards of like crazy amounts of sleep mm. like 10 to 14 that was going to be my next question oh because and then in the summer it's like do all the crazy high energy activity things mm-hmm. and you know drink the sugary things and the alcohol but winter time is a time for slow and for um Soup. fats and soups <laughs> summertime is a sex time Winter time is a non-sexual time. I would like to take three months off in the winter. (laughs) (laughs) I probably actually wouldn't. That's not fair. (laughs) As you all heard in the podcast that'll air the week before this, I'm doing a whole 30. And I jokingly told Ryan, like, I also had to take 30 days off sex. (laughs) And he believed me for like two days. And then I was like, I was joking. I can't believe you would go for that. But I mean, that'll be an experiment sometime. 
I'd like to try to do both. I'd like to take 30 days off and then I'd like to do 30 days of like, not every day because then I would have a UTI, but every other day. Okay. Just to see. Yeah. Sounds like a good challenge. Sounds like a, we need to do a sex podcast at some point. Yeah, we really do. Yeah. I would also like to do like a group of women get together and just talk about sex for four weeks in a row because in Emily Nagowski's Come As You Are... She says when women get together, even without any experts present, every good marker um, around sex increases and all the bad ones decrease just from talking about it. Okay, so here's a challenge for our listeners. Drop the eggplant emoji on this podcast if you are interested in a sex group chat. How about or a taco? Or a taco. The eggplant or the taco. Secretly, then we'll know. And we'll be in touch. It's so not secretly. You mean like DM us? <laughs> no, they can put it on the podcast, but only people listening to the oh, podcast true. will know what it means. It's true. It's a secret podcast club. True. Okay, I but like we're it. not even talking about sex or human we're not sleep g- today. We're totally not. We're talking about baby sleep today. <laughs> Is it inappropriate to combine the two? The adult sleep and the baby sleep? And the sex. And the sex. Uh, I mean, sex let's face babies. it. Sex makes babies. And also, if you are bed sharing or co-sleeping, oh, man. Um, it's a good time. You're probably having sex with your baby in the room. I'd actually like to interview somebody about that. Have you done that? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how else are you going to do it when you have a seven baby sleeping in your room for seven months? I think that would be great if we interviewed somebody, a hardcore... I definitely have someone in mind. Laura. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We just just called her out. Yeah. Laura, we're having you on in a few weeks. Yeah. We're going to talk about co-sleeping because you make it look great. She really does. All right. So we Googled some commonly asked questions, topics about baby sleep, and we're going to cover our dynamic opinions about both, which are not always the same. They totally aren't. And I think for... A lot of you listening and we've had a few questions about what's it like to run a business together as two women and um, I think a lot of times on this podcast we come across as if we're on the same page and we are on a lot of things. Um, on this one we're we're pretty opposite actually and that's fine because I'm hoping you'll find yourself somewhere along the line on the continuum of where we sit and know that there's a lot of... Um, gray area there's a lot of gray there's mm-hmm. a lot of normal and um every there's a lot of stigmatized yeah so so what brought this up let's get into it we got heated the other oh, day we did in it the was, texts it's a bit of well that's the thing i hate with text you can't really like i feel like you were a lot more heated than i was oh see i didn't feel like i was oh. heated. i was like laughing because i thought you thought we were heated oh really yeah oh because you <laughs> you were talking about shame and so i thought you were feeling shame no oh Okay. I'm not sure if you've realized this yet, but I'm almost impossible to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> you can try as hard as you want, but I don't know. I don't you. take things very seriously. Um, so you, someone had asked me for um, some recommendations around sleep. So they were kind of open to whether it was a book or a podcast or some Instagram pages. And you said the specific person would probably be going back to work early. They're not having a maternity leave. Yes, which was an assumption on my part. Yes. Um, and I, I don't actually have that information. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was just kind of... so. That, and, and to be fair, I did go back to her and say, can you give me some more parameters around what it is you're looking for? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so you recommended a book. Healthy Sleep Habits, Happy Child. And I looked it up. And, and ripped it apart. 
and was like, there is not one possible way I will ever recommend this book. Actually, you know what? I did feel a little shamey about that because I was like, well, shit, like I have recommended this to people. It was actually my sleep Bible. I knew it you worked. had some feelings. So I was more upset that I was like, oh, did I maybe not read the whole book? Did I give people bad information? Huh. Also, who finishes a book when they have a I know. two-week-old? Well, and Nobody's finishing the book? Totally not. And this is why I really think it's awesome that she's asking. Mm-hmm. It's because she this is her second baby, but she's reading it while she's pregnant. Genius. Totally genius. So... Yeah, the the want to just get into it or yeah. you want to get in these questions? No, first? tell me about what you didn't like about the book. Okay, so um, the book is basically a sleep training method, mm-hmm. and um, I, that that wasn't really. I thought what I was getting into was more about baby rhythms, kind of recommendation of how much sleep a baby needs, and which more, it does in the beginning, sure, and then also a normalization around babies waking and around you know, how to create a good environment for them to sleep in, but also recognizing that it's a biological, physiological drive and that it's a very, my belief is that it's a very Canadian-American thing to place imposition on a baby to sleep the way we want them to sleep Mm -hmm. rather than allowing them to neurologically develop into a longer sleep pattern. Yes. What I took from the book when I read it after I had Everly I thought my take-homes were really good. So it taught me to look for the baby's sleep signs, Mm -hmm. sleep cues, Mm -hmm. and to read those to try to not nurse the baby to sleep all the time, um, which worked really, really well for Everly. Did not work for Shay. Mm -hmm. Um, So Everly, she would usually take five naps a day, and that would be based on her sleep cues. And so many people in my life thought I was crazy that I was obsessed with making sure she was sleeping when she was sleepy, but it worked really well for her because at two months, she was sleeping through the night. Whoa. Yeah. Two months? Uh Uh-huh. What's sleeping through the night? She was sleep. She was maybe doing a dream feed at 1030 and that was it. Waking up at seven. Wow. So seven to seven with a dream feed. That is not a realistic expectation. No, no. So being somebody who went back to work at three months and needed a baby who could nap at daycare, she also didn't do a lot of sleeping on me because she was going to have to transition into napping in a crib at daycare at three months. So I knew that and set her up for success that way, that that wouldn't be an awful transition for her or for me. But Everly is an angel child, so nobody make any judgments based on this. That is just what happened. So maybe I assumed the book was amazing because probably I only read the first quarter. Mm. And that's what I learned to look for the sleep cues. And it worked. Mm -hmm. And then I liked the book. So, I mean, my experience was the opposite. I had Noah and Riley, the twins, first. And then Jacob after he was like my miracle sleeper. Mm -hmm. And so agreed if I'd had him first and read a book and thought that that was the difference. The difference was he was born nine pounds chubby and liked to sleep. I would literally toss him on the couch and he would fall asleep for four hours. The kids would run (laughs) around him. You could like bump into him. He wouldn't wake up. 
And then he'd wake up in the night for like one or two feeds that I didn't even mind because he was in the co-sleeper mm-hmm. beside the bed. And he'd have this fast like 10 to 15 minute feed and we'd both just go right back to sleep. Um, whereas with Noah and Riley, and I, so, I mean, I sound like I'm hugely anti-sleep training. Um, I did do some sleep training with Noah and Riley when they got to, I think it was around eight months, I was going to have no more help coming during the day. Um, so I knew I needed to get more sleep during the night if I was going to be able to function during the day. And, um, I think there's a variety of different methods, but it feels like a lot of the end games is eventually to leave the baby to cry, to fall asleep. And there's just some terms in there Mm -hmm. that I feel like are a bit of a misnomer. This concept of self-soothing, an infant self-soothing, um, like they're meant to co-regulate with an adult. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that actually makes sense that a baby can self-soothe. I think eventually they just decide no. When it's can they? I actually don't know that. Hmm, we should look that up. Sure. Uh, what I would like to know is how long did Noah and Riley sleep in your room, and how long did Jacob sleep in your room? Okay, so Noah and Riley was pretty quickly. I moved them out. Like I want to say it was three weeks. They mm-hmm. were in a a crib in our room. Um, and then I just found I couldn't feed them well in my bed mm-hmm. together. I needed to be on the couch. So then they actually slept, um, in their bedroom and I would take them up and down the stairs to go wow. use the couch. Yeah. That was not a great situation. No, you should have put, moved the couch upstairs or something. Well, we did by the time they were 10 months, yeah. we bought another couch. Yeah. Um, that was in their room. But, um, Jacob slept in, Brandon built me a co-sleeper, um, to go beside our bed and he slept in there until he started like rolling out of it. Like he could mm-hmm. roll onto our bed and then roll onto the floor. So he was probably around seven months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everly slept in our room one night. Mm-hmm. And Shay, maybe two. I did find it took me a good three weeks with Jacob to learn how to ignore his sounds. Yeah, I haven't learned yet. Yeah. And I did at one point with the twins, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a super hippie and I'm just going to sleep on a queen mattress between them. And then whenever they need to feed, I'll just roll between them. And that lasted one night Mm -hmm. because I could not fall asleep at all. And I can't sleep with anyone touching me. Right. So that was also not happening. If you go on the website, uh, Dr. James McKenna. We'll link it in the show notes. So he's co-sleeping.nd.edu. And he is a safe sleep, co-sleep researcher, and he has a behavioral sleep lab. And he really examines infant sleep around the world. So we know it's a very Canadian-American cultural thing to control baby sleep, whereas, say, in other cultures, you know, it's not just about co-sleeping with your infant. Your your two-year-old, your mm-hmm. four-year-old, and your eight-year-old mm-hmm. also in this one-room house, which brings back the whole sexuality conversation where... When's that happening? Uh, well, we're going to find out because she'll be our first interview. I think that'll actually be great. That's awesome. Yeah. But like, what if your eight-year-old wakes up? I think it's just that the whole concept of like sex noises are just not weird in other cultures. Whereas for us, we're like, I'm scarred for life. I heard my parents. Right. It's true. Yeah. So I think it's just a different, again, that different view of all of that. I do... Um... I reference the Kardashians a lot with this because watching the early seasons of the Kardashians, all their kids were fully aware, ironically now, when Bruce and Chris were having sex, the kids would all know. The parents would lock the door and the kids would fully know that the parents were having sex and joked about it and everything was fine. 
I think that's awesome. I okay, I know in nothing reality. about this show. Like, how old are these kids? Uh, they were probably the early seasons. I feel like Kylie and Kendall were eight and ten. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And the rest of them would have been early twenties. In the mm. house, so I, I like the idea of that. I'm not sure if we will get there, but I do appreciate that that would be really neat. I did have a friend growing up who just knew that every Sunday afternoon that they would, their, her parents would go have a nap, quote unquote, and that they would move from playing in the room underneath the bedroom to a different room because mm. they could hear them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that was just like a normal thing. I was just like, well, that's, you just don't play in that room on Sunday because you might hear things you don't hear. I like it. Um, back okay. to sleep. Back to sleep. Um, okay, so tell me a bit about your thoughts around sleep training and working and babies. And Okay, so my thoughts on sleep training are that in social media... I feel like people assume that sleep training is cry it out and that crying it out is the exact same thing as an orphan in an orphanage alone with nobody touching it ever. I feel like this is like conversations when you look up circumcision. Yes. There's so much ostracization. There's no room for this conversation in the middle. Also the same thing with vaccinations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, Here's what I want to say about that. Um, we probably all operate from the same place of loving ourselves and our children. Yes. Um, you know, someone who chooses to vaccinate their child does so because they are afraid of the diseases their child will catch and they're afraid of the diseases their child could transmit. And they do it because they love them. And those are actually the exact same reasons that someone doesn't vaccinate. They don't vaccinate because they're afraid of the things, the side effects yeah. their child could get. And they're likely still afraid of the things their child could transmit. And we're all doing this from a place of love and from wanting the best thing for our kids. Mm -hmm. And yet that middle line conversations never had because we're so taught to be so polarized. Yes. So back to your sleep training. So, so I believe that, or I believed at the time with Everly, and I think I still do, that babies do need sleep and you have to prioritize it. I was also going back to work at three months, so it would be beneficial to me if she was easier to put to bed and didn't wake up a million times at night. Um, so when I see people talking about cry it out, and then you see these studies about babies who cry it out and who then have attachment difficulties, I just honestly don't believe that you can study that. I don't know how you do. What do you do? How, who do you study? Are you studying orphans who have never been touched in a big factory somewhere? Or are you studying kids like Everly who cried for no more than five minutes at a time? That took three nights. And then she didn't cry anymore. And I don't think it's because she gave up on life. I actually think that my kids are incredibly like normal and have a very healthy attachment to us. So... To say that there's this black and white, if you let your baby cry, there's going to be attachment issues or that's going to damage them psychologically. I don't think you can really study that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know how those studies are 
are done. Um, for Noah and Riley, when we did sleep training, it it wasn't three nights. It was three nights every three weeks. Mm. So it was like every time we would take them to their that grandparents. Was and then every time we would stay up too late or any time there was any shift or change in their routine. And I remember being very careful about, about wanting to remember this because this was right when I started thinking about taking the doula course. And I thought like, I, I just don't know if people remember when they say that. Like, oh, it took three nights. And I'm like, is that true? Did it take mm. three nights? And because that's what it says in all the books, right? You'll have three crappy nights and then it'll be done. And for us, that just wasn't the the story. It was three nights every three weeks or even more often. It was like every time we disrupted. And we were fresh parents who wanted to not miss out on our social life. So I remember mm. we like went to a volleyball tournament when the kids were only four months old. And we, like, we just were doing stuff still on weekends that meant that... Um, I don't know. They're just, they were taking, they were sleeping in sometimes in, in playpens or whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like Shay was more like that. So Shay didn't quote unquote sleep through the night until she was 15 months old and mm-hmm. weaned. Mm-hmm. Um, she slept in a swing mm-hmm. the first six months of her life, swaddled. Probably a professional would not recommend swaddling a baby and letting it sleep in a swing for the first six months of its life. Or a car seat. Or a car seat. No. Uh, And she would usually need to nurse two or three times every night and could not cry it out. And still to this day, if you let Shay try to... Like if she's having a temper tantrum, it never gets better she needs you to come in and hold her Mm. and bring her down from Mm -hmm. that emotional place Mm -hmm. which is exactly what she was like as a baby Mm -hmm. if she cried she got too worked up so that makes me think maybe there are babies who are super independent like Everly that's just who she is she doesn't she doesn't need to be cuddled she doesn't look for a lot of touch but maybe I did that to her. Maybe someone would argue that I did that to her. I have no idea. I mean, I know there's definitely developmental cues in terms of things like um, eye contact. So when you hold a baby's eye contact, it's literally helping their brain to grow. And ideally, you hold their eye contact until they look away. Um, and so babies being looked at, I imagine there's similar research to saying about babies being held. I mean, there there's research to say that failure to thrive sometimes has more to do with touch than about lack of nutrition. Mm. So there is an, an orphanage study that says that the babies who died were the babies who were healthy. And that's because the sick babies were held more. Oh, yeah, so I mean, babies are definitely neat. We are our infants are born more um, dependent and fragile than any other mammal, and are dependent on us for survival. And I think part of that is um, is in the holding. So in our prenatal class, we talk about um, brown fat, and so babies um, in the last three weeks of gestation are putting on brown fat. So. They live on that. If I go that. two weeks overdue, does that mean Shay put on five weeks of brown fat? No. Does that make I don't, sense? I don't know if it does because I think in those like few weeks overdue, they're not necessarily putting on a full oh, okay. pound every week. I mean, I think that's what they'd like you to believe so that they definitely can talk you into some inductions. <laughs> but um, I haven't, I mean, I'm going to say I don't know that. Um, 
But anyway, brown fat, one of the ways that you can help a baby preserve their brown fat is to hold them skin to skin. So that kangaroo care helps them to kind of slow down the burn of their brown fat while they're trying to survive through those early three days of just living on colostrum, which is gold. I'm not denying that, but it is obviously not as calorically dense as getting milk that doesn't come in until day three. Mm -hmm. I think one of the mistakes I made, because I didn't do my doula training until after I had Everly, just like you didn't do yours until after Noah and Riley, I didn't really even understand what skin to skin was or why it mattered when I had Everly. So I thought that breastfeeding her was enough. I mm. thought that was skin to skin. If I could go back in time, I would have let that kid sleep on my chest all day long. Mm. And then made her daycare deal with it when I went to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just such a beautiful time that you can't get back. I don't know that I did much skin to skin either because my nipples were so sore. Oh, yeah, so there was sore. no way I was going to strap a baby onto me who might grab a nipple by accident. Right. Um, and I do think that, I mean, if you're breastfeeding, they are getting yeah. a ton of skin to skin then. I mean, I was, I think that's, for me, that's at least 45 minutes every three hours. She was a fast eater. But, I mean, what they say for an ideal amount of skin-to-skin skin is, like, upwards of two hours a day. Oh, okay. She got so that. she got that. Yeah, that's true. And are you going to say, like, she was never skin-to-skin skin on Ryan? Ever? Like, you guys never watched TV with her just kind of hanging out Not skin-to-skin. Skin. Like, oh, I think sleeper. she slept on his chest. Yeah. 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 But not skin-to-skin. Not skin skin. Mm. I mean, there's still benefit in cheek-to-neck. Yes. Yeah. Cheek-to-face or whatever yeah. you want to call that. Um... I want to get a bit into um, some like belief mindset because I feel like um, you and I grew up a little differently mm -hmm. and um, kind of maybe have some different things that that are, I mean, I'm learning from you, are serving you better in this stage of your life. I think I grew up, um, my mom was maybe a bit of a martyr and I'm a bit of a martyr now too. And where I maybe hold on to these like, idealistic theoretical concepts that are gold what it looks like when you don't achieve them is you fall into a pile of mud mm -hmm. and you can't function whereas I think you learned how to navigate the gray yeah and you know how to take care of yourself and your baby so that you're never in this depleted starving place whereas I think I oscillated between like white and black all the time yes that I agree with so I grew up my mom stayed at home with me and Justin, my middle brother, and then my little brother was born and my mom went, she started school when he was maybe three or four, when he would have started preschool. My mom went back to school, to University of Guelph to become a therapist. Um, and even while Lucas was little, I remember her doing correspondence. I remember it coming in these big plastic boxes that would open and it would be all the cassette tapes. Amazing. <laughs> She would have to listen to the cassette tapes on a Walkman. Because like, it was before the internet. Yes. Oh. And I can remember those big boxes. So most of my mom that I remember, because I don't have a memory of her being a stay-at-home mom, really at all. I remember the heaviness on our family of her going back to school. She was gone overnight, one or two nights a week. I took on a ton of responsibility for my brother's. We grew up very similarly to Ryan and I's situation now where we have a business on the property. So I was 10, my brother was seven, my little brother was five, and I was making them dinner because my dad was outside in the shop mm -hmm. or the receptionist was outside. So there was somebody on the property, but not somebody with us. Um, 
And then my mom became a therapist and both my parents were entrepreneurs. And I think the impressionable time of my life was seeing my parents hustle and work and build like my dad built his business from the ground up too. So, but my mom also then, while I was a teenager, fell in love with writing plays, being in plays, having a social life through that, and then left my dad. But I did see her balance parenting herself, her career, and that was the norm for me. So what do you think your belief or value or sort of mindset is around um, having a baby and working slash staying at home and what that can you speak to that so personally for me i love working and i think that it makes me value my time in the momming zone more so when i would leave the kids to go to work now i only work technically hands-on probably 20 hours a week so it's not like i was leaving to go to an eight to five that would have been too hard. I do have this perfect gray zone life where I'm at home sometimes, at work other times. Ryan took over all the bedtime duties when I worked at night. Sometimes I was working from home. Sometimes I was working for a chiropractic office. Um, So it just made me appreciate my time as a mom more and it was more intentional. I was burnt out less of the time because I also was filling my cup at work because I love my job. So when you say you had to go back to work at three months, that was a choice that you'd made like earlier on in your life to say, I value working and I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose that because that makes me happier. Yeah. Yeah. I could not even imagine taking a year off. Can't even fathom what that would have been like. I feel like I would have been bored, but I also had two full days off a week. So what? What about you You or about your upbringing made you feel like that was a choice you were allowed to choose? I think because my parents modeled it so well for me that we could have intentional time as a family. We traveled a lot. My mom was with us way more than my dad. Um, but when my dad was with us on vacation or on Sundays when we would go to church and go out for lunch, it was very intentional. There was also no cell phones taking them away. That makes me wonder about parenting now. For sure. That would be a great podcast topic. But yeah, I think my parents just, everybody they even were friends with. Everybody worked. It was just, yeah, the norm for me. Hmm. And even Ryan's parents, like Ryan's mom was not a stay-at-home mom. She worked at the bank from the as early as possible. I don't know how long her mat leaves would have been, but not very long. And she, so it was also the norm on that side of the family too. So there was no guilt or shame from either side of the family for me going back to work. And I think culturally, I don't know the exact years on this, but I, I mean, there was a feminism movement that was like, you can work and then kind of moved into like a, you should work mm-hmm. and that you were kind of anti-feminist actually, if you decided to stay home with your kids. Yes. So I don't know where we are now. I mean, both of us haven't been in the position of taking a mat leave now for almost seven years. Right. Um, so I feel for people who are making those decisions now because you have upwards of 18 months that mm-hmm. you can take now. Um, and then even beyond that, um, you know, what is that going to look like? 
Brandon and I are like you and Ryan um, got together pretty early and I, I can remember writing out this um, I wouldn't call it a vision board but almost like an ideal life kind of projection mm-hmm. and I had on it like that I would have a Lexus <laughs> <laughs> I did not even know in my brain that you even cared what kind of a car existed. <laughs> I drive a minivan. <laughs> it's so sad. Oh, I, I did have a CX-7 before this and I wow. enjoyed it way more, but the engine blew up. Anyway, don't worry. The next vehicle will not be a minivan. Um, <laughs> I also had horses on that list, which I still don't yeah, have. You, but someday, someday. One day it's getting there. But then I also had three kids. I wanted to have three kids and I had it kind of spaced out because obviously no one ever plans to have twins. <laughs> what? Uh, and then I had this this also written down that I wouldn't work for 10 years. Oh. Yeah. So I had this idea yeah. that like I would be home with them until the youngest one went to kindergarten. Yeah. That would never have ever been in my vision board. Yeah. Ever. So like that was like, and because I'd written that so early you know, early in my 20s, I guess I had Noah and Riley when I was, I want to say, 28, 29. Um, it, it felt like for a long time, I didn't know how to shift it. I didn't know how to say, but I also want something else. And it wasn't mm. even really until, I mean, I, I took on part-time things all over the place. Like I was doing CrossFit coaching between Noah and Riley mm-hmm. and Jacob. Um, I was working for another. You're a doula. Yeah. I wasn't doing a whole lot. I was doing some mom baby mm-hmm. stroller with that. Um, but I just, and I did need other things for sure. But, um, I think the main thing that I got from my upbringing was that you sacrifice all for your children. Oh no. And I also got that, um, it, like, I don't know that I got this, this idea or vision that like the mom figure is very like important or valuable or something or someone who takes good care of herself. Mm. And so while I did see my mom go to, she went to two fitness classes a week Mm -hmm. and they would get a babysitter. Um, When I look at pictures of her like from then and now, like then she was, um, I would say like just very very low effort or time because I don't think she felt like she was allowed to take time for herself to do, you know, a nice hairdo to care about what her outfit looked like. Um... So I think this idea, like, and, and I mean, it was all, she didn't sleep train. She breastfed us till we were 18 months old and, um, just a very child family centric vision or view, which I thought was lovely until I'm in it. And I'm realizing now that the best thing I can model for my kids is how to make myself happy. And if I'm, you know, modeling that, being a mother is all about sacrifice what are they then going to expect of their partner Future partner yeah. yeah and what is their belief about mothering and about having a family that it's just all this you know dogmatic life of sacrifice and it's really Ugh, not it's not no, no. Which, so i guess like where that sorry go ahead. yeah where that goes to sleep yes. for me is and this is what i tell clients all the time whatever works for you is what you should try to make work So for me, co-sleeping, I just, it would never have worked. I couldn't, my, my anatomy wouldn't even allow for me to side feed breastfeeding. I could not sleep with a baby in the room with me. So it just would not work for me. But then there are other clients who I've had who can't sleep unless the baby is on them. 
or beside them. And if that's how you get rest, the best, Mm. then I'm here for that. Totally. And I think there's an interesting mix here, though, of one, tapping into your intuition to say, what does truly work for me? but also of checking into what are your cultural biases. Mm -hmm. Because if you only ever watch movies and read material by American Canadian authors, you're going to not even understand that there's a whole other realm in the rest of the world who operates, sleeps, co-sleeps, and lives way differently than we do. Yeah, it's true. I do think that the best thing that you can do going into becoming parents is to manage your expectations on the sleep. That your baby probably is not going to sleep longer than two or three hour stretches for the first two to eight months. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the trading off thing is what works the Mm -hmm. best. And And really extending your sleep window. So if you normally sleep from 10 to 6, like try and be in bed for 12 hours. Uh Try and be in bed from 9 to 9 and whatever you get between those 12 hours. Yeah. And asking for help. I know it's hard during during a pandemic to ask for help, but there is a gray area in these pandemic rules and your mental health does matter. Mm -hmm. So if you can allow a grandparent into your bubble, a friend into your bubble, a sister into your bubble, a postpartum doula into your bubble to get you sleep to take care of your mental health right now, I will argue that in court for you for days. Mm, 100%. Amen, sister. Yeah. Um, Also, the part around going to stagger... You talked about this already. Mm -hmm. I remember my husband and I did this with the twins, so he would do like the 9 to 1 a.m. shift. I would do the middle of the night, kind of 1 to 6, and then we would often have a mother or mother-in-law sleeping over and they would do like the, even earlier sometimes, 5.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. to 10 where I would catch up on sleep in the morning. I wasn't great at falling to sleep early at night. Neither of us are. So that was tough. But if you're someone who can go to bed early and let your partner stay up, that's a really great trade-off. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's already 40 minutes long and we didn't even get to the questions. Shoot. Okay, so some here's some questions that people... Sometimes ask about sleep. Um, I just wanted to touch on first though, um, just because I do love Dr. James McKenna and he talks about, is it even normal to have a baby getting these super long uninterrupted um, chunks of sleep? And we know when there was in the 80s, this big shift towards formula is better. It gets you independence. Mm. Um, And even in Africa, this happened where um, Nestle was promoting breast milk over sorry formula over breast milk and they were actually having more babies die because they were mixing it with water that wasn't right. clean yes. and it was expensive they couldn't yes. afford it yeah so um and i mean there's another i would say i read this study about how african babies don't cry because the moms are so res- like so much skin to skin yeah and i held this as this gold standard and never wanted my babies to cry and yeah. i think i nearly made myself mental with that yeah um, so anyway, James McKenna talks about how, so he calls, he calls waking from sleep baby arousals. Mm-hmm. So the baby rousing, um, is actually what is helping them to stay alive. Mm-hmm. And so more frequent rousals to feed is what is preventing them from SIDS. Right. So when we have this expectation or idea that like, well, if I fed them more, if I fed them formula, that that's kind of a, this proposed sleep idea that isn't what's most developmentally um, beneficial for a baby anyway. I think that there shouldn't even be a definition of normal mm. when it comes to newborn sleep. 
mm-hmm. really. What is normal? It's true. Well, because when you're saying about Shay, yeah, sleeping like that, that is that's very pretty normal. That's pretty far from the average. Yeah, to have a, a baby sleep at two months. Yes, that long. Everly was sorry. Everly was not normal. Right, Shay yes. was normal. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly. Um, but I I do think there are some windows. So let's talk about like how much sleep should a baby get? If you can, you can look up a chart for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So it's around sixteen hours, mm-hmm. about eight to nine at night around eight on and off during the day so no and riley i don't know that they got that like i i can't tell now if this is bad memory or if it was that they didn't always sleep at the same time but it felt like for the first four months until we really started to try and dial in what we were doing wrong that they were getting 20 to 30 minute naps and those are so annoying so annoying especially when you're rocking them for so long and then you can't even put them down and your back is screaming because it's so sore yes um, so yeah, 16 ish hours in a day, but I mean, I feel like it varies totally. And I mean, we think about, um, if you're feeding a baby every two to three hours, most of that awake time in the beginning is just feeding. Mm-hmm. So it really is when people have all these like black and white toys and, and, um, things to stimulate a baby, a baby actually needs very, very little. They need a blank wall while they calm down, while you rock them, they can be fed to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really great way to kind of calm your baby right down. Um, Shay slept so much at the beginning that I actually Googled, can a baby sleep too much? And Google reached out and slapped me. <laughs> <laughs> what does that look like? It's painful. <laughs> it was like, Don't shut Google. your mouth. Yeah. Don't Google shut this. your mouth. Take that sleep. And then she never slept again. Oh, man. That's like Jacob, though. People are like, I would have felt like such a fraud if I'd have had that as a first baby. I think I'd have been like, well, one, I would have been a hypocrite and been like, what's everyone's problem? Mm-hmm. I went back to the gym at three weeks, and which was also stupid. Poor I choice. Not, Poor choice. Yes, do not advise. I tried to move a box sideways with my oh. foot. And my groin kind of cracked. Ew. It was the most disgusting feeling I can still think of it now. Um, but I just was getting like a lot of sleep. I felt really good. Baby was healthy, sleeping a bunch. Anyway, not at all like the first experience. I one week into Jacob, I was like, I think we're not done. <laughs> of course, Brynn's like, uh, maybe with another husband. Yeah. <laughs> all right. When should a baby sleep through the night? What is sleeping through the night? Yeah, I feel like some people define it as like five, five hours, hours stretch, which is what? Whose night is five hours? Not mine. It's not a night. Twelve no. to five. One to six? Eleven to four? I don't know. Your baby might sleep through the night someday. Someday. Your baby should sleep through the night someday. Someday. Um, So I feel like Noah and Riley were probably consistently around the 18 months. Right. Like we were doing a bunch of... Somewhere between four months and three years. (laughs) There you go. You might get a full night of sleep. Yeah. Like if at three years you have a kid still coming into your room every night, then maybe we're talking about some... I don't know. Locks on doors. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say maybe like a nice bedtime routine where you blow out a candle at the end oh, and help wow. them no, to No, we actually down. did the, we did the knob control. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Or the gate threat. That's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, listeners who want to go that route, I'm your girl. Okay. And if Gates you're a and bit locks, of, um... And if you're a bit more soft like Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Just reach out on the side. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> 
no judgment. Just say, I'd like to speak to Sarah about sleep versus I'd like to speak to Laura. I know other gate people out there. Don't deny it. Oh my goodness. This is awesome. (laughs) Basically, moral of the story is if you are a martyr and you prioritize your baby, you probably want to talk to me. And if you are a healthy human being and you love yourself... Talk to Laura. I do love myself. <laughs> Shut up. Oh my goodness. Should I wake up a sleeping baby? Um, so yeah, we struggle with this one, yeah. really. Like I feel like It depends like, is the answer. Yeah, it's always it depends. Because when a baby is born, they are learning new skills. It's so new for them to be out of the womb. They are um not being fed by the placenta anymore and the umbilical cord. And they're learning all these new sensations. Um, they're peeing and pooing, they're touching the air they're breathing they have to cry to, they have to suckle mm-hmm. to be fed and so um i feel like there's room for uh error in those first few days where they can say or where the baby can like i don't know just not wake up not be driven to feed yeah um that being said i know that's not um i that's not trusting an infant's drive for survival so I really waffle on this one, and I think it's just from fear, right? I would say if you have a baby who's premature, um, it's not a bad idea to wake them within... I know at the hospital they say every two to three hours. Obviously, when you wake a baby to feed, they don't feed as well. It's true. As if when you feed them on your own. And like when you mentioned the dream feed, we tried that a bunch with Noah and Riley. It sometimes worked. It sometimes didn't. Sometimes they would just be like, suck, 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 swallow and back to sleep. And you're like, well, that was a teaspoon of milk. That was not worth it. True. Um, But yeah, should you wake a sleeping baby? I think in the beginning until like, I don't think it's a bad idea if they've gone four hours and you're like, ah, I think I'll wake them up to feed or start if you are swaddling especially mm-hmm. unwrap the swaddle yes. and just see what they do yeah. and see with that startle reflex if they start to suck on their hands yes yes swaddling it's wonderful but sometimes you miss those cues that's right um what else do we have oh bedtime routine mm-hmm. i was a huge bedtime routiner okay our kids had baths every night before bed you're one of those yeah i was okay so what does a bath bedtime routine look like with an infant so probably by the time that Shay was three or four months old, she just went in the big bathtub with Everly. Okay. And Ryan also did 90% of the baths for the first four years of their lives because I would work at night and then he became the bath expert. So yeah, he would just put Everly in. She'd be two and a half. She'd dunk Shay in, clean her a little bit, take her out, play with her in the towel while Everly's still in the tub. And then they'd go to their rooms, read stories, and then I'd come in and nurse Shay, and then off to bed. I love that. Yeah. I think the only sort of routine we have with the twins was like boob in bed. Mm. Like there was no sort of anything else outside of that. I did try to nurse them in a like darkened space. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you did not have like a glider in your nursery. What's that? Look at the glider chair that everybody gets. All the bougie nurseries have a glider. That's the thing I wish I had. We had this super old lazy boy in their bedroom that cracked when it rocked, but I nursed them every night all the time in that chair, and I wish that I invested in a beautiful glider. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, there was no way I could feed two babies in a glider. Oh, true. There needs to be like a twin glider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it would look like. No, like I decided early on I wanted to feed them at the same time, so... I had a lactation consultant come over and help me with that. And I always fed them 
together or not at all. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was never this one at a time thing because I felt like that was a waste of, like then I'd just be duplicating that time later. And because they took so long to feed, like 45 minutes, yeah. I didn't want to feed one for 45 and then another one for 45. I literally lived on the couch. It's so valuable that you have had twins because we have two postpartum twin clients right now. We for sure have another one in the summer. And I don't know what the hell I would have done if I was by myself. Like, There's you so are many, so like... valuable in your twin knowledge. Thanks, babe. Um, I, yeah, there's so many weird little tricks and hacks that you learned how to hold two babies and do two things at once, I guess. But I mean, there are definitely women who feel like a cow mm-hmm. feeding two. I've literally, I don't say that lightly. I've heard women say that. They mm-hmm. feel like a cow when they have both, both breasts babies. out and feeding both babies and that's not for them. Mm-hmm. But I would say... And cool, if, if you can feed your baby in 15 minutes right. and you do one on the other and you have this one-on-one intimate time, they were just not fast or efficient and everything was slow. And so it was two and then both of you off me, mm-hmm. please. Mm-hmm. Um, sleep regressions. What is a sleep regression? I really like that Wonder Weeks app. That mm. explains a lot of great things. If you're having a baby and you don't have the Wonder Weeks, you should get it. Sleep regressions are usually... Are they connected to developmental leaps? Oh, yes, they are. So there's like leaps and spurts. We actually have a blog post about this, which I can link in the show notes. Cool. About leaps versus spurts. Yes, because they're different things. Yes. Growth spurt versus yes. developmental Yes. Leaps. Usually regressions are attached to big things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, You'll see that. Like I remember especially around when they start to crawl. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if you've ever gone snowboarding for the first time... Oh, so and much pain. So much pain, but also you go to bed at night and you are just going down the hill in your head. Yeah. And you're just, so much is happening because your body's learned so much that day and um, it's like you can't turn off your brain. That's how I feel when I have a good TV binge and then I go to bed. Then mm-hmm. I dream about the show, which is sometimes great. I dreamed last night that I was talking to my friend. She was on a plane to Hawaii. Well, that sounds nice. Not nice for me. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that's so sleep regression. What yeah. what's your thoughts around like supporting a baby through a sleep regression? Yeah, uh, it sucks. Um, plan around it. Expect it. Mm. Call in sick if you're back to work. So okay, I think one of the horrors back to the sleep training thing that people have around crying it out is how do you know, you know, what's this cry and what's that cry mm. and how do you decide if it's inhumane or not and how long do you leave them and. Can you speak to that? I mean, what worked for us was the five minute thing, um, which actually my naturopath and doula taught us about. Um, So we didn't let them cry longer than five minutes. But in that five minutes, if they stopped crying, even for five, 10 seconds, you reset the clock. Oh. And this would only be after they've been fed, changed, etc. We were not video monitor users. We actually barely even used a monitor because our house was so small that you could hear them crying. Um, So how long should a baby cry? For me, that was enough. Five minutes straight was enough Mm -hmm. that it didn't feel like torture. Mm -hmm. It was the same as a baby crying in the car. If you're Mm -hmm. driving somewhere, you're not going to pull over constantly to make the baby stop crying in the car when you have to go somewhere. So that felt like an okay negotiation with myself 
I just didn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> or I learned how to breastfeed them in the car, which was... Yeah, I was never a backseat like, rider. I went in the back and I would like put... I could literally feed them both by cranking their seats over, which is 100% what? not What? At the easy. same time? Yeah, not your, safe. Were your boobs bananas? No, I just was like the seats were loose enough, which is not That's safe. That's not safe. Not safe at all. I know, but I hated the crying. Um, what I will say we did do, do though was supported crying. I forgot about this. So oh, like a no, we didn't touch them. Oh, so you lay on the floor in the dark, <laughs> plug your ears, and you hum. So they know you're there, and they know that you haven't abandoned them. Um, but they they still have to learn how to get themselves down. So like when they be, you know, when they pull themselves up and they're standing at the side of the crib. See, to me, you left me. That feels like more torture. Um, For if, who? For the baby yes, or for you? For the baby. I feel like if my mom was three feet away and I'm crying and I'm like, what the fuck, bitch? <laughs> Explicit podcast warning. You're right there. Versus <laughs> me up. Versus if I'm in the other room, they're like, oh, well, they're not here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And at the time, it sounded like a good idea. <laughs> I'm going to stand three feet from you the next time you're crying and see how it feels. <laughs> you just say, I see you. Right I hear here. you. I'm right here. I'm not coming closer. So we would say to them. Because you might have COVID. <laughs> right. We do know today you don't have COVID. So that's wonderful. I did go for a COVID test. Ugh. It's refreshing to be able to hang out with you and know me. Either of us have COVID versus when we just hang out and don't know. It's true. <laughs> Please don't report us. Oh man, this podcast was all over the place, but I love it. I feel like we stayed pretty about, uh, kind of about sleep. Kind of about, sleep, about sleep, but also funny and entertaining. Okay, so um, I think the point being, I don't have a good recommendation for a for book a sleep that book. I like. Yeah. Um, but I feel like there. Does that mean we have to write one? Oh. <laughs> It'll oh. be called, what the fuck, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, because I feel like there's everything from James McKenna yeah. all the way over to Ferber, yeah. who is the hardcore, hardcore cry. cry and so the, this is the book that Lara liked, I would say, is a few steps down mm-hmm. from Ferber, and mm-hmm. he's uh, Mark Weissmith. Yes, Weissbluth. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's a little, little gentler. And then I'm sure there's a pile of other things. I will say one thing I don't love is there's a lot of sleep training and sleep coaches who yes. I think sell you on this idea that it'll be this gentle sleep method and it will be involve no crying it out until you purchase. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that's exactly what it is. Yeah. They just sort of wordsmith you into believing it's not. And this has definitely happened to clients of ours. Um, and so I do wish, I wish there was more education and transparency about what it is that they're actually selling. Yes. I agree. Anyway, I think ideology-wise and belief set, mindset, I mean, all play into how you feel about infants and consciousness of infants and, you know, whether you're going to damage them or not. Mm-hmm. Nobody and, knows. Yeah, where you're going to end up. So thank you for listening. Uh, follow us on Instagram. If you're listening to this and you don't already follow us on Instagram, I don't think this is in our intro or outro, and it should be, but we're at Dynamic Doulas of London. Our website is also Dynamic Duels of London. We have a YouTube channel too. We don't have a lot of our own stuff on there, but we do have a pretty cool um, playlist mm-hmm. of births if you want some births that you know you won't be too freaked out by. Yeah. And um, where else? It's Facebook? sunny out. Let's go for a walk. Let's do it. Okay. Peace.
We would just love it if you would take the time to leave us a five-star rating, a review. If you'd subscribe to our show, you can screenshot it while you're listening to us and even share it on the gram. Remember, you are important too. Disclaimer, we are not medical professionals. Everything said here is our own opinion and not to be taken as medical advice. We do not take any responsibility from the outcomes of you taking our advice. Please seek medical advice from your trusted healthcare professionals.